Today on episode one of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, what's this podcast all about? Collectively, over a period of time, we can take that wisdom and use it in our day-to-day interaction as leaders. We talk with Chris Meyer, PhD, professor of management at Baylor University, about managing emotions when interacting with others. And I think that a lot of the misunderstanding that takes place in interactions is because we want to remove that emotional aspect. And finally, we'll have book and podcast recommendations. Stay tuned. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Welcome to episode one of the High Performance Leadership Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Chip Wilson. My name is Randy Lane. Chip, uh, kind of tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, Randy, thank you. For you know, the last 20 plus years, I have dedicated my life to helping organizations and primarily leaders develop their skills. And one of the main reasons is because, you know, leaders are responsible for getting results inside of organizations. They have to, you know, clarify the strategy and get results through other people. And it sounds simple, but it's not. It's hard. It's difficult. And so on this podcast, what we're really trying to do is invite people into the studio or or Skype interview, whatever it might be, with thought leaders that are, you know, focused on building leaders just like we are and try and gleam some wisdom out of each and every one of them so that collectively over a period of time, we can take that wisdom and use it in our day-to-day interaction as leaders and really help try and build the high-performing organizations. And so far, we've got some really good interviews. The first interview you're going to hear is with Chris Meyer. He's a PhD at Baylor University. He's going to talk to us about the emotional side of negotiating and talking with other people. We've got military leaders. We've got leaders in nonprofits and churches and things of that nature. I mean, it's all over the board, and it's only going to get better. Yep. I, I tell you what, I'm excited about all the interviews we've already done so far and the ones that we have lined up that are coming. So hang on. Great stuff coming. Stick with us on this podcast. I promise you, you're going to pick up some pearls of wisdom. And Chip, who do you think should listen to this podcast? Anybody and everybody that's interested in becoming a better leader. I don't care if you're for-profit, non-profit. I don't care if you're just starting out in the business world or you've been, you know, in the world for the last 40 years and you want to improve. This is for anybody that wants to improve on leadership. All right. So let's get underway with our first interview. I'm really excited today because we have a special guest in the studio today, Chris Meyer with Baylor University, an organizational psychologist, PhD. I don't know exactly uh, all the uh, acronyms behind your name. You can tell us a little bit about that, but we're really excited because as we continue to invite guests into the studio to talk about the subject of leadership and and different things. I think, Chris, we've been chatting here a little bit before we got started on today's podcast. He has some really interesting insights that uh, that I'm excited about. So maybe we can start, Chris, tell us just a little bit about your background and how you ended up, you know, sitting here with us today. Thanks, Chip. I appreciate that. Uh, glad to be here today. Uh, as you mentioned, I am a professor at Baylor University, and I teach in the MBA programs uh, at the business school at Baylor University. I teach negotiation, which essentially I view as all human interaction as a negotiation. And I think that that understanding and and thinking through human interaction as an important aspect of business is really uh, part of what brought me into this world. I came from startup software companies. I worked in startup software companies for about nine years before I went back to Michigan State for my PhD. 
and uh, arrived at Baylor in 2005 and have been teaching MBAs since about 2007. And I find it really interesting because I get to work and interact with people that take the ideas and implement them almost immediately in organizations. And that's what's really exciting to me is bringing some value to those the, to those interactions that people have in those organizations. The emotional content that we've been talking about a little bit is really one of the focuses that I have. Well, I, I got to ask a, an obvious question, at least obvious to me, and that is how do you go from startup software <laughs> companies directly into a PhD around organizational uh, development? How, how did that transition happen? Sure. It's a, it's a good question. And the issue that I had in software companies, and I, I had a great time, and I was in software companies in the 90s when there was an explosion of growth. So I was thrust into these roles that I didn't understand, and, and I was probably far too young to, to do, but so was everyone else. So we didn't really have a good plan as to how we were going to work through these things. And we had great products and there was a lot of money in the marketplace at that time. So we had to go through and we had to think about how are we going to work together to achieve these goals that we had set. So the whole of my software experience was about that human interaction. And I felt like we could have done it so much better and I wanted to understand it more. So that led me to the PhD in uh, organizational behavior and really looking at how people interact and how that determines some of the outcomes that we get to in our organizations. Interesting. So you go through your PhD, you move to, to Texas, you've been teaching at the university now and you know for many years now, 11 plus years you've been over there. You see students come and students go. Is there any common denominators that you see as, you know, the years have gone by when it comes to what, you know, you do on a daily basis around psychology or negotiation or, or working with students? Is there any kind of common denominators of things that you see year after year after year? Yeah, I think there are a couple of common denominators. First of all, the students that come in are hungry to understand better. And I think that when we talk about people that want to do more in organizations and lead better and be better parts of the organization, the ones that aren't satisfied are the ones that do the best. The ones that want, the ones that come to me at the end of an intensive class and say, do you have an extended reading list? Those are the people that are going to do really well. Yep. And Everybody comes in with struggles. Everybody comes in with biases that they've gotten or, or bad information that has been reinforced over the years because this is the way we've done things in the organization in the past. And the students, again, the students want to change that and they want to come in and they want to learn and, and do better. If you're going to dedicate yourself to doing an MBA, you have to be willing to change some things and you have to be willing to question what's out there and you have to be willing to put in a lot of work to get there. And I think that that's the common denominator that I see for the years. Yeah. So in the MBA program, do you, are you seeing more of people, uh, kids, I call them kids, you know, students going directly from their undergrad to their MBA, or are you seeing more people coming back after being in the workplace for a while, coming back to get their MBA? Right. I, I think that, uh, on campus, we see a few that go straight through. But we also get a lot that have been out in the workforce for about five years. Those, those students have a much better grasp of what's important to organizations, 
what's important to individuals within the organization so that they can learn and grow, and how can you make the most impact in the organization. The straight-through students don't have as much that they can attach that to because they have they just have less experience. Yeah. And we also teach uh, some executive MBA classes, and I'm in that program as well. Those are the students that have been out in the workforce for about 10 years. Those people come in and after a four-hour class, don't let me leave because they want to talk about it more and they want to understand it better. And that's really exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit maybe about some of the stuff we were talking about right before we started this podcast. It was interesting, you know, your perspective on how, you know, our emotions and logic have to have to coincide uh, to be an effective leader. And I thought it was really interesting. And you're talking about some of your research and others around that. So can you expand a little bit more on what we were talking about earlier? Absolutely. So one of the main messages that I try to get across in my classes is that as we interact, um, because of the nature of humanity, we have a lot to bring from an emotional standpoint as well as a logical standpoint. And I think that a lot of the misunderstanding that takes place in interactions is because we want to remove that emotional aspect. And we, we were talking a little bit about the, uh, the book that I mentioned, The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt, which really kind of changed my thinking about this and really helped me to get a, a very specific idea about how people marry that logic with that emotion. And we have to be able to look at the emotion as the reason, the why. Um, and I focus a lot in my classes on that question of why are you in the room? Because we have, we have interactions and all of the interactions that we do are somewhat of a negotiation, whether it's at home, whether it's at the office, whether it's here in the studio when we're just kind of talking about what do we want to accomplish today? That's somewhat of a, a negotiation, right? I have some ideas, you have some ideas, mm -hmm. Randy has some ideas. So we have to come together and we have to marry these things, the why. And that speaks to the emotional aspect of it. The logical aspect then is how do we get that done? And what are the specifics? What are the steps that we need to take? You know, what is the financial implication? Some of the things that we're more, more used to focusing on in business, but we also have to bring in that emotion because we can't take that out. Yeah, so you're marrying emotion with logic. But as you mentioned earlier, and I totally agree with this, is that, that emotion can get carried away. But we tend to not get carried away with logic. I mean, logic is logic, right? But emotion has this aspect to it that it can be larger than life or it can be minuscule. And so the analogy of a, of a chariot driver. So you have a chariot driver who's by himself, but in front he has all these horses. And it's very easy to let, you know, the horses get out of control, which is the emotion side. And then so the logic has to pull back on occasion or all the time, I guess. Um, and it's that balancing act between the two of them that is interesting, especially when it comes to leaders, because leaders are all some are very emotional. Some are not emotional enough. Some are very logic driven. Some are not um, in your classes. Do you talk a little bit about how to manage emotion and how to manage the logic side and use that to yeah. their advantage? We do, and I like the analogy a lot because it lends itself to that wild nature of the emotion, and it's hard for us to, to imagine how do we balance that, how do we control that if we're just one person in the back holding on the reins and there's a string of horses in front of the chariot, 
we don't want to let that go. We don't want that emotion to run away. So we talk a lot, a lot about how do we manage that within the interaction? And we have some tactical steps that we talk about, um, which is if we're in an interaction and somebody comes in and they're obviously very angry and you want to have the, the interaction with them be, be positive and, and work towards an outcome, it's much easier for you to say very often what, what we'll, we will do is we'll dismiss that emotion. We'll say, well, you know, there's no reason to be angry. If anyone uh, has a significant other at home and they say, well, there's no reason to be angry, you know that's not a good thing to do. So <laughs> <a> terrible idea. <laughs> yeah. I've tried. So, it doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> so what you want to do is you want, and we talk about this a lot uh, when we're talking about in organizations, because the emotion is the same in organization. I want to be able to express my emotion. So if I go into an interaction with a very angry person, I'm going to say, it seems like there's something that's a upsetting you. And what we want to do is we want to validate that emotion. It's okay that you're angry. It's part of being a person. It's part of being a human being. So it's okay that you're angry and validating that. And then talking about it for a little bit is a positive thing to do. Now, if a person is so angry that the horses are charging and they're not going to get that emotion under control for that interaction, that's when I advocate it's time to take a break. Okay. It appears that today is not the day that we're going to make any progress. It's okay to walk away from that because if you continue to do that, and we know from research that people that are in that negative affective state, they're not going to be, they're not going to be creative problem solvers. They're not going to see any possibilities to different outcomes. They're going to be really focused on this is what I want and we're not leaving until I get what I want. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Now let me ask this question then. Okay. So by saying by validating it's okay to be upset and it's okay that you're angry is there any way shape or form that by saying that you're almost implying that you're right about being angry i mean can there i be confused there it can be confusing and the way that we talk about doing this is talk about saying it's okay but in a way that a two-year-old would do it two-year-olds when two-year-olds ask questions or do things like that they do it without judgment and there's no guarantee that they're going to change their mind when you give the answer to the question. You go, oh, it looks like you're angry. Is everything okay? Is everything okay is a question that you need to be able to ask. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to change the way that I feel about the interaction. It doesn't mean that I'm going to change how I'm viewing this. But I want to make sure that we're on the same page. And if you're not okay, that's, you know, that's fine. And then we'll go from there. Okay. So it, it is... It is a bit of a balancing. And there's a lot of art to these interactions. We talk a lot about the science of what we know from an organizational psychological perspective, but there's always some, some art to it. And I tell students, there's not like a secret phrase that I can give you. You have to be genuine about who you are and you have to be genuine in that interaction because people can see the phony. Oh, absolutely. And I can tell you this ties directly into what we talk about all the time around emotional intelligence and that's being able to read other people being able to be able to empathize and be compassionate put yourself in the other person's shoes but not validate the negative behavior that's going on so it's a uh, it is it's tricky and it's also a science i totally agree so i have issues sometimes you know yes, when you're in a yes si we know that randy <laughs> <laughs> sometimes when you're in a uh, environment where it's already kind of charged and has a lot of tension that I'll start taking on some of those negative emotions too. How do you, as a person who's trying to s remain neutral about 
a negative emotion in a negotiation? How do you take control of yourself so you don't get sucked into that negativity? Yeah, it's, that's something that we know about the emotional content in a room. It's contagious. And it's very easy to pass the emotion from one person to the next. Negative emotions seem to pass much more easily. And that's because they're active, right? When you're, when you're in a positive affective state, you want that to stay. So you don't do things, right? You say, okay, I'm happy. This is good. I'm not going to make a lot of changes. If I'm in a negative emotional state, then I'm trying to do things. I'm trying to actively do something to change that. So it's harder to pass that positive emotion. So to remain out of the negative state, you really have to be deliberate in understanding how is this going to affect me? You know, should I take on this? Should I take on this negative affective state or Am I actively going to resist? And it does take practice to think it through and understand, oh, this negative emotional state is coming off somebody else in the room and I want to stay out of it. I don't want to, I don't want to bring myself into that negative state. We'll have more with Chris on a future podcast. All right, Chip, this is the part in the podcast where we talk about uh, books we're reading and podcasts we're listening to. Do you have any good recommendations for us? Yeah, actually, right now I am reading a book. I'm just getting started with it. I haven't got into it too far, but it, obviously it's a great book because I'm I'm really excited about. It. I haven't been able to put it down yet, and I just got it yesterday. It's by uh, I hope I don't I hope I say this name right. Joanne Margetta, I believe, and I found it at Barnes and Noble when I was just walking around. She has put together a collection of understanding of Michael Porter's work. And why that is so important is that Michael Porter has been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's a great teacher, but he talks a lot about competition and strategy. And one of my favorite Harvard Business Review white papers is called What is Strategy mm-hmm. by Michael Porter. And I talk about it all the time. Well, she's put together a book, and the book is called Understanding Michael Porter, uh, The Essential Guide to Competition and Strategy. What she's done is she's taken all of his work over the years in combination with him and tried to put it all in one book because he's written and taught a number of different strategy ideas and competition ideas, and it's all kind of broken up in different places. So she's simplified it into one book. And so the cliff notes. Yeah, except it's very deep. I mean, it's very deep. And uh, some of his Michael Porter's earlier work is really hard to read because he's very detailed and has a lot of information. And she, you know, has really put this in a way that it's easier to understand. It's a compilation of all of his work together and how they tie back together. So it's, I'm really excited about finishing this book. Excellent. What's the title again? Just so we have it's it. called Understanding Michael Porter, The Essential Guide to Competition and Strategy. I'm in the middle of The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin. Do you remember that movie, Finding Bobby Fisher? Yes, I do. It's the one about the uh, the chess prodigy kid. And basically, it's based on his life. He was recently interviewed on the Tim Ferriss podcast, which is another recommendation I have, the Tim Ferriss podcast, if you want something to listen to. And basically, he has kind of analyzed his own way of learning. And so he tells a lot of stories through him becoming a, um, a chess prodigy. He won a national championship at age nine. 
Uh, he's won several national championships, international championships. He's a uh, Tai Chi push hands martial arts champion. So he also talks about learning through the perspective of uh, not only chess, but martial arts. And now he's a consultant to a lot of um, big name people like Cal Ripken Jr. and other people. So Mm. if you're interested in how the brain works and how people learn and best practices for learning, it's a really awesome book. And I also recommend uh, listening to the podcast that he was on with uh, Tim Ferriss. They do a really deep dive. I think it's like two and a half hours Mm. of just talking with them. So awesome. My recommendations, um, that's The Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin and also the podcast, the Tim Ferriss podcast with Josh Waitzkin. All right, Chip. So we have this thing called high performance workshops. Can you kind of explain to me what a high performance workshop is? Absolutely. What most of the time organizations are struggling uh, on one thing or another, and they really don't know how to put it all together. And so we have this two day intensive workshop we call it a high performance workshop that really has a framework. And that framework helps organizations understand what are the principles of highly successful organizations? What do they look like? And, and then we move into assessing. Step two is assessing the organization. We have seven critical steps that we look at. We help our uh, participants that are in the workshop really kind of create a benchmark of where their current organization is, is. We move to step three, which is clarifying their strategy and helping them think through their strategy and is it a good strategy? Can they are, can they change it? And how do we clarify it? And then step four is we then start helping empower them on leadership and help them understand what does a high-performance leader do on a daily basis. And then step five is those leaders then build very high-performing teams of individuals. And, and we're really focused on getting the leaders and the teams to execute on the strategy. And so so this two-day workshop takes them through the entire process. It does. And so when you leave the workshop, you'll leave with a a framework, a a plan that you can go back into your organization and really take this and understand what are our principles, assess our organization on seven different critical areas, create that baseline, clarify our strategy, and then start changing behavior of our leaders and our teams to execute on that on that clear strategy that we have in place now. And who's this, who's this workshop for? Anybody in a leadership role. So it doesn't matter if you're for-profit, non-profit, it doesn't matter. If you are responsible for getting results in your organization, especially if you're responsible for getting results through other people, this workshop is designed for those individuals. And so if I'm looking for more information, where can I go? Go to 360solutions.com. Uh, and in there, you'll see everything that you need to know about the upcoming workshops all around the U.S., and we have some actually in other parts of the world as well. But there's probably one coming close to you uh, sometime this year, and the information's on there. The cost is extremely reasonable, and the reason why we keep the cost low is because we want people to understand the framework. Once you understand the framework, then you know, we can help you along the way of implementing those things. So if you've enjoyed this podcast and all of our leadership tips and tricks that we've been giving you, this is kind of the next step. Yeah. The next step is is to say, you know what, this is great information. I really want to see how I can uh, apply some of these principles to help my organization grow. This two-day workshop is is kind of the starting point. It's kind of the immersion into the overall concept of high performance as you as a leader and then really as how the organization and leaders work together to, to build a high performance company. 
And so we'll also be talking about those upcoming events on this podcast. So stay tuned here as well. That's 360solutions.com again for more information. And of course, we're also on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, all those places. So we'll make sure to have plenty of information available there. Stay tuned. Next time on the podcast, we're talking with Ken Busby, head of the Route 66 Alliance. He spent his career in nonprofit and arts leadership roles. It is having the right team, having having the right people in the right positions, uh, hiring the right people so that they have enough intuition, enough sense of, of who they are, what needs to be done, and the mission of the organization to then deliver that and make it happen. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Make sure and subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and leave us a review. Tell everyone you know to do the same thing. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we get, the higher iTunes rates us. Visit our website at hpleadershippodcast.com. Tweet at us at twitter.com slash 360 underscore solutions. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 360 solutions LLC. That's all together, no spaces. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.